station, but we're here for a real education. Welcome to A Real Education. I am your host, Tim Wick. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Movie Fox, Melissa Kersher. Hello. And Movie, uh, what are we going to say, Vol? Uh, <laughs> Jenny Young. Um, hi. <laughs> <laughs> that, okay. And we, we are here tonight uh, to watch the movie Foxy Brown. Woo! So, Jenna, as always, you are our movie uh, not-know-anything-about-er. So, so <laughs> Vol. Voles uh, don't know a lot. That's the uh, yeah. that's all I'm saying. It's uh, anyway. Aww. So, uh, what do you know about Foxy Brown? Uh, I know that this is a black exploitation movie. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming there are black people in it. Yes. <laughs> that, that is an excuse. You should even know one of the black people that will be in it. I, I, I feel like I may have seen her recently, in fact. Mm-hmm. And who would that be? I don't remember the name because I'm really bad at names. <laughs> but I know what she looks like. I'm great with faces. Pam Greer. Pam that Greer. Right. Pam Greer. Pam Greer. This is, uh, what do we want to say? This is the sort of seminal Pam Greer film, right? Yeah. This is this yeah. is this is, you know, the movie when people are talking about Pam Greer. Yeah. This is the movie that they kind of point to. Mm-hmm. And maybe a little bit of Jackie Brown, but but uh the so uh Pam Greer is a very big name in black exploitation. Uh and uh we're gonna watch the ultimate work. Melissa, why don't you educate us a little bit about black exploitation films? Not too much before we watch the movie, but oh, yeah. but folks should understand what, what when we're talking black exploitation, what do we mean? Well, in the 1970s, there was a a, a surge of filmmakers, uh, particularly black filmmakers, who came out and started making movies on their own. You know, it, it became more viable for them to make sort of. B-grade, you know, like uh, drive-in grade movies and uh, uh, have them distributed. And so generally these black exploitation films would have black casts. They would usually be like crime movies or martial arts films and um, usually fairly cheaply made. But, you know, there's a certain verve to them and it it certainly would... They were very interesting. They kind of had some some similarities to uh, the Asian martial arts movies that were coming out of Asia at the time. Okay. Um, so it's it was this very interesting little subgenre that lasted 10 years or so. And, uh, yeah, it, and there was just a little family of filmmakers and actors that uh, kind of put these things together. And a lot, a lot of them are, are very silly. <laughs> now, uh, a lot of them are very fun. When you say that, I have seen Black Dynamite. Black Dynamite uh, definitely um, is a black exploitation parody. Yes, right. Um, yes, which is that was my understanding of it. So, so I feel like I have a very good parody sense of what black exploitation yes. is. I mean, if you're if you're familiar with the character of Shaft, you know, since it was remade yeah. recently, you know, Shaft was uh, a black exploitation film, okay, uh, made by Richard Roundtree and friends. Again, yeah. I know of it, but why yeah. would I see a movie? So yeah, I know. So yeah. so yeah, and. Uh, yeah, it was it was this this very interesting thing that happened because you know, up until that point, movies were largely made by and for white people. <laughs> so what I'm expecting in this film, yes, is a lot of tense pauses with like '70s music in the background, mm-hmm. like, mm, and yeah. 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, Quentin Tarantino has absolutely been very uh, influenced by black exploitation, you nice. know, as as evidenced by him making Jackie Brown and by Django Unchained, which is going to be the next movie we watch. Interestingly mm-hmm. enough, Exciting. but uh, yeah, and I mean, even in the movies that aren't direct black exploitation films, there are a lot of. He does it like in Kill Bill. Yeah, there there, yeah, are, there are elements absolutely black exploitation mo- moments that he pulled directly from from that that influence. I mean, it's it's clearly a love of his this particular genre, which is part of the larger grindhouse genre. You know, the seventies yeah. are, are 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 kind of an amazing decade for all sorts of people finding money to produce these low budget films, some of which are absolutely fantastic, a lot of which are horrible. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, because because you didn't have to know how to operate a camera mm-hmm. to make one of these cheap grindhouse films. And there were a lot of people that did not know how to operate a camera. And in some cases, apparently not a typewriter either. So... <laughs> yeah. Oh, there, there, there are some real gems I've seen. <laughs> Avenging Disco Godfather is a hell of a thing. I'll tell you that. <laughs> what? Yes. Oh. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh, you know, but, at, but at the same time, there there are spectacular films from this era that, that were made in the kind of grindhouse thing that we really we really don't see any anymore the indie film uh subgenre these days is entirely different mm-hmm. from from what the the grindhouse indie film productions were in the 70s so uh black exploitation is a subgenre of that that is specifically focusing on black characters black actors usually by black mm-hmm. filmmakers mm-hmm. Sure. um and uh, again, yeah, Melissa makes a makes a really good point that it is at this period there aren't the, all the films being made really are by white people for other white people, mm-hmm. at, uh, at least in this country. And black exploitation films are being made by black people for black people, mm-hmm. um, and that was a really, I, th- I think, kind of a monumental shift. Uh, that they that there there was actually an attempt to make these movies for for mm-hmm. that that group of people. There there were other filmmakers too, like Roger Corman tapping into this genre, and that Roger Corman being a white dude who likes money. Um, I was about to say that sounds like a white dude who likes money. He, he is a yeah. white dude that likes money, but he he um, is a very low budget filmmaker that came out of this era who gave a lot of other filmmakers their first shot, and he specialized in super cheap ass movies and he would do things like film in the philippines and because it was cheaper to film there but he also did a lot of these black exploitation genre films because they were cheap to make and there was an audience for them and he could make a quick buck out of it and you know like uh, i was talking about on our last episode there was this movie called black mama white mama produced by roger corman i can't remember who the actual director was but you know it also had pam greer in it it was filmed in the philippines it also had sid hag in it so i mean there there was there was a lot going on in that era with so, low budget filmmaking. So yeah, and Pam Greer, one of the big stars of the black exploitation yes. uh, subgenre. So uh, we're gonna go away. We're gonna watch Foxy Brown, and then we're gonna come back and talk about it because that's our thing. So we'll see. You a, we'll talk to you. We won't see you because this is radio. <laughs> we'll talk to it's you. Not in a little radio. Bit. It's a podcast. It's basically radio. And we are back. 
much fake blood has been spilled. Uh, so much barn paint. So much, so, so much, much red paint. paint. Oh my uh, god, that was and, uh, beautiful. And all the white people are bad guys. Yeah. That's just the way it is. But uh, Jenna, tell us what you thought of Foxy Brown. That was fantastic. Here's Okay, here's what I loved about it. It was ridiculous. I mean, there was oh, a yeah. lot of ridiculous in there. But there were some moments of, oh, like like the, the poor Claudia chick with her little kid. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, like a kid will get me every time. So, like, I was like, oh, oh, she's trapped in the, ah. And then, like, crazy blood spatters and ears shot off the next scene. And I'm just like, ah, ridiculous again. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is it is a... But, Fun movie, um, definitely an exploitation film. Yeah. It, as the as the term black exploitation suggests, um, the the low budget. It's not just low budget. It it's also going straight for the the gore and the boobs and yeah. the oh so you know, much any boobs. anything to get people sitting in a theater. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just taken by the story from the whole thing that you know every time she she like trusts somebody or is nice to somebody mm-hmm. they screw her over. Yeah, right. You know, it's take take them back to her house to keep them safe, and you know the brother gets her her boyfriend killed, and then the the girl that she rescues decides for some reason to go to a lesbian bar. It was um, close by. But you know, you can, you, uh, it's clearly just to get a lesbian bar fight in the movie, which I truly appreciate. <laughs> yeah, no, that was fantastic. That's the whole reason she went to a lesbian bar. It, it, it is for there's lesbian no, bar fight. There's no fight. evidence that the character's a lesbian. There's no evidence that she was in the mood. I, you don't know what the hell's going on. She just shows up at the lesbian bar. There's a bar fight, and she gets away. And we yeah. presume she gets away with her husband and her son, and Foxy just, gets yeah. captured. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that plot thread does just kind of get dropped unceremoniously. <laughs> yeah, they're like, well, whatever. Something happens to her. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, oh, God. And uh, <laughs> run, and you keep running. <laughs> Oh God! Oh, uh, yeah, it, I mean, it, oh. there's uh, a certain level of just whatever the fuck happens next that goes on <laughs> yes. in this kind of movie. Oh, as well. oh but, but it's fantastic! And by God, if if we had a drinking game that's just drink whenever Foxy Brown changes clothes, you right? would be in the hospital. You could but, wardrobe like five seventies woman with that stuff. Oh yeah, like, aren't they amazing? Are. And that thing with like the the half sleeve suit coat with the puffy sleeves under it. Which the... I'm a little ridiculous. I kind of enjoy that look, and I don't I don't know why. There's com- it's, something it's, kind of sleek there, and awesome about it, and with the but the, the collar that goes the collar like that goes over the shoulders. Yeah, She's like Psh. that's like aerodynamic, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know she wouldn't need Sid Egg to fly her around. She just <laughs> pile it around on on right. those wingtips. <laughs> it's it's amazing. Mm. Or, you know, oh, how about the, the red thing that she was in for, like, 30 seconds? <laughs> yeah, it was a gorgeous red. Yeah. She looked yeah. I think she looked better in that than the blue dress, honestly. Yeah, although the blue dress did suit her very well. It, it, with it the, with the, ruffles the ruffles and the lining on it, that was, that was very nice. Yeah, yeah nice. whoever was dressing yeah. her. I, I think probably half the budget of the film went for her clothing. Yeah, actually, uh, Jack Hill, the director, was kind of upset with the costume designer because... He didn't want the super trendy 70s clothing. He wanted more classic suits for her oh. because he felt that the film wouldn't age well with 
Oh, I think the, that's the age. Well, I know, right? Well, the, well, the thing is, he eventually came around when he realized that those clothes really um, gave it a certain extra it factor. Sure. <laughs> you know, you really kind of set it in the 70s and went, by God, it's the 70s. And we're going to be so 70s. That, that, that <laughs> one piece of trivia makes you wonder if that isn't why Tarantino put her in that classy suit at the end of Jackie Brown. Well, he put her in that suit because he's used it before in Uma Thurman. Well, yeah. <laughs> the same, I don't know. They just. Uh, but the, she did look good in it. She well, did look yeah. good. She rocked the suit. Well, oh, yeah. Well, she rocks just about anything. Yeah, yeah. Pamper, Pamper kind of rocks it. Yeah, because she's voluptuous. You know, yes. she's, she's oh, got yeah, the she curves. All yeah, over. she does. The curves. She's got the yeah. curves all happening. Yeah. All yeah. everywhere. Um. In at least 80 wigs, apparently, because <laughs> every right. scene with the dress, her hair also changed, which I, <laughs> I was really... And apparently it carries a gun. Yes, that was my <laughs> was favorite. Amazing. They was pat it? her down and she doesn't have anything on her, and then she just pulls this tiny gun out of her afro. They didn't check the afro. That entire final scene is fantastic. Oh, God, it's the, the The gotcha with the villain and pulling the gun out of the hair and... And I'm gonna shoot just... you in the arm, and I'm not gonna kill you because because you get to live, and you're gonna suffer. hate your life, you Even know. To the you're pain. probably yes. gonna be hunting me down for the rest of my life. Never mind. Never. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter that leaving her alive is gonna be bad for uh, Foxy Brown. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I is, think they were hoping for a sequel. <laughs> the point is, yeah, her boyfriend doesn't have a penis, <laughs> right? <laughs> Because it was, it was in a pickle jar. It was in a pickle jar. Oh god! Uh, I mean, it's still there. Yeah. It's just, but then, know. then she dropped it, and it's like, oh, yeah. now it's got dirt on it. It's got dirt it's on it. It's not sterile anymore. You can't, yeah. yeah. I don't think it's gonna work out. Yeah, it might not. I don't think that would wash off real well. No. 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 <laughs> Especially with the shag carpeting he had in the seventies, that would just catch oh, everything. God. Oh, the grime yeah. and that that'd stuff. Be, yeah. That'd be terrible. Just, <laughs> you don't want your your, your boyfriend's body yeah, yeah, rolling you know, around yeah, on the floor. Yeah, yeah. it's just it's, it's not going to work out. <laughs> oh my god! This is a movie education podcast, as, listeners. As, uh, as, as <laughs> to Jan be of, fair, I don't think we could do black exploitation justice. If as, we oh man! Talk about as Jenna pointed out, you know, Foxy is pretty resourceful. You know, and she's oh, like, yeah. oh, take the coat hangers, gouge out the one yeah. guy's eyes, and the and gasoline thing, light the other guy on fire. Yeah. No, she's super resourceful. You know, and, and tonguing that razor blade. Yeah. That she got oh my god! Like wow. Yeah. yeah. I was I was kind of impressed by the tongue. Honestly, I was like, holy shit. She, she wow, had done. definitely skills. Yeah. A skilled tongue, and she uh. had a vocabulary. Oh my goodness! I thought I was vulgar. <laughs> Not even close. I, you know, I, I have to wonder lady. if, you know, by, by, I, I'm trying to figure out the right way. To, Per minute, I, I have to wonder if the word "bitch" is used more in black exploitation than in all other films combined. Oh, probably. It's possible because uh, they they do use that word a, a lot. It's yeah, kind of it's kind of versatile. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it can be applied to anybody in a black exploitation uh-huh. film, really. Yeah, yeah, but man, that just like a couple of times, she just had strings mm-hmm. of insulting, vulgar words, and I was like, I'm. 
I learned something new. <laughs> I didn't think I could. And if you're a white person in a, in a black exploitation movie, you are going to use every conceivable uh, racial epithet you can. Yeah. Yeah. Just like n- nobody, no white people in in, yeah. in, uh, in black exploitation films treat black people well at all. Yeah. Um, the the interesting thing, well, there are many interesting things about black exploitation as a genre. I mean, this this one is actually kind of atypical because up until uh, Coffee, which was the preceding film to this one, this one's actually kind of a sequel to Coffee, but not really. I'll get into that later, but. Um, between Coffee and this one, Pam Greer was kind of the the a new female archetype for black exploitation. Usually, women were kind of the normal in the background yeah. characters that you'd expect from that era of films. And Pam Greer, you know, came in and she's like the avenging angel <laughs> sort yeah. of character. She's, she's the protagonist. She's she, the, yeah. She is the the main character, and she's killing the bad guys, and it is super duper fun and yeah she was really I absolutely love that she was the kind of origin of that in black exploitation now um another thing i wanted to talk about in black exploitation the the interesting thing about it is um on one hand you have you suddenly have a whole genre of films that is you know giving is a largely black cast and uh you know uh Often set in urban settings, and mm-hmm. meaning meaning in the city, not as the way a lot of people say urban, urban. these days. But yeah. but um, in a lot of ways, very forward thinking for black culture. But also, there are you know it can also be seen as holding them back because it also uh, a lot of the films reinforce the same tropes. Sure. that you're used to seeing and and you certainly hear a lot of racial epithets being yep. flown around in the foxy brown and and certainly there are a lot of you know black stereotypes in it as yeah, well there are so a little good a little bad um it was all down to make a buck uh however there were a lot of well there were some strong female characters oh yeah including foxy well and, and I, the main I, villain's I believe, a woman yeah. right there yeah. were conversations that did not necessarily fall directly towards a man mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so i i it, it passes the bechdel test does. hooray right in the 70s well done kids <laughs> and, and it passes the race uh, the race bechdel test too yes you have you know, one right? one black character talking to each other about something other than white people. Yeah. So hooray! All, all <laughs> sorts of test passing. Well, yeah, yeah. they're just passing left and right. Um, yeah. Um, I should say a little bit more about Jack Hill, uh, the director of this movie. Uh, this is one of the black exploitation films made by white people. Uh, Jack Hill was a white dude. He went to uh, University of California with a uh, another fellow named Francis Ford Coppola. Huh. Um, who I've heard of him. Yeah, funny that. Uh, directed a lot of famous things like The Godfather and <laughs> many, many other great films. But they went to college together and they both found their way under the tutelage of Roger Corman, uh, who I mentioned earlier. Sure. And, uh, you know, Roger Corman during this time, he, w- he was, you know, grabbing all the young film students and they were working for cheap, but man, he made sure they got a education working on movies. Uh, other people who came out of that, that um, group of folks were like James Cameron, 
he was doing like special effects for Roger Corman for a while. Nice. Um, um, now I'm going to f- forget the guy's name, but the guy who directed Death Race 2000 and Eating Raul came out of that family of people. Oh, yeah. And, okay. Uh, yeah. A whole uh, uh, John Landis, uh, the guy who directed Blues Brothers, yeah. among other things. I've seen that one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Pretty much uh, just about any director that came out of the 70s and into the early 80s, they almost all of them worked with Roger Corman at some point. Nice. Because Corman was cranking them out and just using everybody he could uh, get his hands on. So Jack Hill... Paul Bartell, by the way. Paul Bartell. Paul Bartell. Death Race 2000. But We should do Death Race 2000 because that's awesome. But anyway, uh, Jack Hill <laughs> is also known for such uh, wonderfully trashy movies as The Terror, which I believe was the start of Jack Nicholson's career. Another person who came out of the Corman-verse. Nice. Uh, Spider Baby, which is an incredibly weird movie. Um, Coffee, which is kind of the progenitor of this one, and Switchblade Sisters, and Sorceress, which was an incredibly trashy sword and fantasy movie from the early 80s. Ooh. Oh, yeah. From the 80s, from you the, don't say. From the early 80s. It, it, like, between 1981 and 1984, there were like 800 uh, sword and sandal fantasy movies, and I love yeah. it. Yeah, and they were all terrible. But. Yeah, oh my god, they were so horrid. But uh, Coffee, anyway, as I keep mentioning it, uh, it was kind of the predecessor to this one. It was, once again, Pam Greer. Uh, she plays a nurse whose little sister gets, if I remember it, killed by drug lords, and she mm-hmm. goes on a, a vengeance tear. Sure. And so it was hugely successful. And so the filmmakers wanted to um, make a sequel to it, but there was some sort of rights thing where they couldn't get the character rights back huh. and so uh, they couldn't make a direct sequel to Coffee so um, they rewrote the script a little bit so it's still Pam Greer on a vengeance tear because her boyfriend has been killed by drug lords so yeah. yay going against drug lords yay <laughs> I mean and so yeah we can all agree that drug lords are bad drug lords are pretty bad drug lords are pretty bad and they deserve to be they you know you should bring them down. Yeah. Drug lords should be brought down. Not just because they killed your boyfriend. No. Uh, and although, your brother. Although, you know, I you don't know, think I don't think if, she should be getting revenge for her brother. He if, he really kind of... He kind of asked for it. He's kind of an oh, idiot. Uh, yeah. Her brother's a dork. Just, just a little yeah. bit. It's, and I, I realize I'm blaming the victim a little bit. A little bit. Well, he was an asshole. He was a he was he, an asshole. He, he, he had his sister does his sister saves choices. his life and he repays her by handing over her boyfriend. Yeah. And then being like, "What? It's not a big deal." When she catches him, you know, it's what uh, adult. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's one of those characters that uh, when he ends up dead in the movie, you're like, "Wow, boy, he should have. She should have let him get." Uh, he, you could have saved so film. much trouble. If she just hadn't <laughs> have gone and rescued him, none of the rest of it, it, it would have been fine. Mm-hmm. Again, it's her fault. If she had gotten there too late, too late to rescue her brother. Or just, you know, slept through the phone call. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, yeah then, then everything would have, would have been fine. Um, so what else do you have on your uh, on your on your little uh, just a, just a couple of people who popped up in the movie um, aside from Pam Greer who Pam we talked Greer. about yeah. at length last time um, Antonia Fargus who was the guy who played Link speaking of her brother um, you'd see him he, he's been in tons and tons of stuff he's a pretty 
noticeable black actor because he has a very characteristic face. Yeah. yeah. But uh, you might have recognized him as the informant from Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> the TV show. The we TV show. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, Sid Hag pops up as yeah. uh, the pilot, and um, you know he's he, he's gotten an interesting resurgence in his career as of late because of people like Tarantino and Rob Zombie casting him in movies. Nice. Yeah. yeah. You know he is single handedly the best thing about House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, by because far. we're not going to be watching House of a Thousand no, Corpses, that, by the way, Jenny. If you're going to okay. have to, you're going to have to do that one. Homework. On, on, no, 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 just what? don't. I'm just saying, if you I'll want to don't. watch it, you will have to do it on your own. Now, I can't think of why. You watch like the to... like the pre-credit sequence and go, oh my god, this looks awesome, and then turn it off. And then because you're wrong. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Everything else. You turn not it worth off it. and imagine what the rest of the film would be like. If that first credit sequence had had been what the rest of the film was like, yeah, okay, that's and and that first pre credit sequence involves Sid Haig, right? Oh, and then like Sid Haig is in the sequel, which is much better. Uh, uh, I don't know about much better. Well, I, I just don't, dear listeners. I don't like <laughs> Rob Zombie's movies very much. PSA. Uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, 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 I don't either. But most people feel. It is much better. The Devil's Rejects, which also Got has Sid Haig in a bigger, in yeah. a bigger role. So, well, he certainly has um, a lot of scenery to chew. I'll give him that. So, in yeah. the end, you know, when you need scenery, chone chewed, chewed, chomp, chewed, chomped, chewed, chewed, yeah, chewed I believe Hague, is the appropriate. Sid Haig is good at that. Sid Haig is, yeah. is a scenery chewer, yeah. even if you know all he's doing is flying an airplane in this one. Oh yeah, he, yeah. he's um, still fun. He you know, I fun. think, I think. Uh, it was, was the classiest pickup I'd ever seen. Just yes. <laughs> it is super interesting the that dusky they dusky skinned. <laughs> it is super interesting <laughs> that they cast their lot with a with a woman in this film, and that they never they never really turn her into. I, I mean, she certainly is a victim, but what they don't do is ever weaken her. Right. Yeah. She she's there's there's never a point where she's beaten. Right. Um, she always eventually gets the upper hand on. The people that are trying to trying to take her down, mm-hmm. um, and that's uncommon in film. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's nice. It's nice to see it in this one, and it is definitely it's uncommon in black exploitation. Black exploitation is usually the women are the victims and the mm-hmm. men are the saviors. But that's not different. Really different from the from the non black exploitation films that they were essentially copying. You know, yeah, it's true. I kind of feel like this film is copying a little bit movies like Dirty Harry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's the same kind of. It, it's that vigilante justice. It's that thing, vigilante. Yeah. It's the the one woman against the world out to out to right the wrongs that the the system can't fix. Yeah. Uh, and but in this case, instead of it being instead of it being a man against the world, it's a woman against the world, and it's nice to see that in in this film, and not because because it is so unusual, and it's even unusual today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and so you end up talking about it when it happens because we still <laughs> we still don't really make movies like that. We I no the, well, I Hollywood, mean you, you get stuff like Kill Bill. You know, you get the occasional yeah. The occasional thing like that, but Kill Bill and Jackie Brown by yeah. Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, funny mm. that. Mm. Mm. Death Proof, where you have multiple women against the world. 
Yeah. We could just do several months just on Tarantino. Um, anyway. Anyway. Problem is, is that I've seen all the I know. Except one more. What? Yeah. One, one more. more. One uh, more. Then I'll have the complete set. You have, you have well, if we wait long enough, there will be two more. But <laughs> Yeah, he does eventually make additional movies. Yes. What? Yeah, Hateful Eight comes out, I believe, in January. I'm, I'm, I'm it's excited. marked up my calendar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I, is there anything else on your list, uh, Melissa, or is it about time for final thoughts on Foxy Brown? Um, I've, my final thought will lead into our next movie peak, so. Okay. Jenna, oh. final thoughts on Foxy Brown. There Foxy Brown. Foxy Brown. Foxy. Um, there were not nearly as many cigarettes as I thought there was going to be in this film. I, I was all prepared for, like, having those cravings. of. There was not a lot of smoking, you're there right. Was, there was one guy smoking, like, tapping his ash into the heroin. There was the guy tapping his that. ash into the heroin. <laughs> and that no, may, notice maybe, how I noticed that while yes, we were watching. Totally like, did. And maybe well, that was I not. I, I totally noticed that, too. To <laughs> yeah. Fair, because but there, like, were, oh there were more people doing hardcore drugs than there were smoking. Like, I, there were, I, I can think of... Two times somebody was smoking, and one time a guy was about to smoke, and he got the cigarette slapped out of his mouth because he was being an idiot. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like I can't think of any other smoking scenes, and that's weird to me. Like mm-hmm. when we watch a lot of these, and, and the 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 use of smoke and things that we've learned about in black and white. And I'm just used to needing to go outside for a cigarette afterwards because I've just sat through a couple hours of watching other people smoke. Oh, yeah. Um, do not currently have an urge to go smoke uh, cocaine. So, you know, that's... Yeah. Don't don't need to shoot any heroin. Huh? No. Yeah. Don't need to sniff anything. I'm, 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 I'm good on those. So... All right. That, that's good. That's yeah, good. You know. Good. <laughs> so, congratulations. Uh, final thoughts, Melissa. Okay, so when, mostly when people think of black exploitation, they think of the you know gritty inner city drug lords, mm-hmm. blah 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 type of uh, black exploitation movies. Um, there was a whole second subgenre where they were black exploitation films set in slavery era South. Oh. So set historically, and boy, some of some of those so, things. Are the we've most seen a couple horrifyingly of horrifyingly racist things I've ever seen in my life. There's but, a, there, there's a oh movie called God. Drum that you just um, oh yeah. Drum uh, there, oh and there's mm. a Farewell Uncle Tom which Farewell was made Uncle by Italians Tom and that was so oh my God that is one of the most heinous things I've ever seen. It's it supposed, d- it's supposed to be anti-slavery and it's and, so and, racist. Oh um, anyway, oh it's terrible. But but. But um, out of that whole subgenre, there was a set of westerns starring a character named Django. And that... Wait a minute. Served as an inspiration. Wait a minute. Served as an inspiration for our good friend uh, Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. And since there is only one other Tarantino film that Jenna hasn't seen, we felt it was necessary to get her to watch it as soon as possible. And that means that our next episode is going to be Django Unchained. Yay! I'm so excited! So, uh... 
we are going to take a look at that movie. We'll probably talk a little bit about a little bit about the original Django movies somewhere in there. I don't know. Uh, that's going to be our next episode, which happens, you know, around about 15 days from when this episode goes up, because because that's what we do here in Real Education. So, for uh, both of my co-hosts, thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed watching Foxy Brown, or if you didn't watch it, we hope you enjoyed listening to us talk about watching Foxy Brown. And we will catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our film fixation. We'll see you next time on a real education. Dee, dee.